Kurt, hey man, it is good to be here with you, talking to you, chatting with you. I've been looking forward to this. And one of the reasons why is that you have an incredibly unique story as a church because this is the second time you've come back mm-hmm. into the network. And I think people would love to hear a little bit of that story and kind of what drew you back in. Hey friends, Casey Smith here. Today, you are going to hear from Kurt Hanna, lead pastor of Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. His story is intriguing because in many ways, Kurt's story parallels the story of Harbor Network, formerly known as Sojourn Network. And because of that, you are going to hear some names over the next few minutes that deserve some context. In order of mention, Daniel Montgomery was one of the founding pastors of Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as one of the founders of Sojourn Network back in 2009. Brian Howard was also one of the founders of Sojourn Network, as well as its first executive director from 2011 to 2013. Chad Lewis then served as the executive director in an interim role from 2013 to 2014 before handing over the reins to Dave Harvey until 2019. We often say on this show that everyone has a family and every family has a story. And our story, perhaps yours as well, has a few scratches and scars. Sometimes leadership transitions mark and change us but they don't have to define us. And similarly, what you are about to hear from Kurt is an honest and sobering story marked by loss, disappointment, and disillusionment. Each will leave a scar and will be a reminder of the past and where he has come from. But ultimately, it doesn't define his story. Jesus does, which is the prevailing encouragement throughout the course of this discussion. Thanks for listening, and now back to the conversation. So the first part of the story is that we were charter members of Sojourn. Daniel Montgomery, way back in the day, he assessed me with Acts 29, coached me when we planted our first church in Asheville, North Carolina. And after several years Mm. of seeing that church established when we were moving back to Cincinnati, He and Brian Howard at the time coached me through that process of moving to Cincinnati. And then as we got established, they got behind us again. And that was like the foundation of beginning Sojourn Network. A couple years into that, I was experiencing tension with another Sojourn pastor. And to create peace, Missio backed out of of Sojourn so that we could keep relationships strong and give him some space. And then he spent the next three years in the network and then... um, their church withdrew. And so then I had a meeting with Chad Lewis almost immediately after they withdrew because we stayed pretty connected to the network. They came over and invited us to consider rejoining. So Mm. we did, and it was great. And we were with the network for another, I think, three years at that time. And uh, that's when we began this dream of saturating the city of Cincinnati with Missio Day churches. And so we created a collective model. and. We planted two churches in that season, and in the midst of doing that, we were recognizing the financial toll of participating with Sojourn and planting churches at the pace that we wanted to plant. We just couldn't do both. And so I, I actually remember I had a conversation with Dave Harvey at the time, who was trying to explain to me 
network is more than a financial partnership. Mm. And I remember sharing with him, like, that's true, but it's not less than. Mm. So we couldn't figure it out. And so we finished out the year. So 2017, we completed our commitment to Sojourn. In the beginning of 2018, we left the network again. Mm. And then over the next year and a half, had a lot of growing pains. Found out a lot of not just humbling, but some humiliating lessons in trying to plan a collective. It came to the conclusion that this is probably not something that we're going to continue. And so we dissolved our collective. And as a pastoral team, we were saying, hey, wasn't it sweet when we were part of Sojourn and we all felt healthy and well? And so we kind of kicked up the conversation and then rejoined again in 2021. And this time, the admonition from the pastors was, we have to make a long-term commitment. No three or four years. This is, if we can't commit for 10 years, it's not worth stepping back in. So we went through the whole assessment process and, and here we are, we're back. Oh man, that's, I mean, that's a story. And one of the things that strikes me as you were talking through that was that, gosh, we have no idea the direction that God is going to bring us in this particular journey, especially when we talk about church planning. And so when I hear your story, I hear of somebody who is open to where the Lord is leading through all of these different starts and stops, and we're switching direction, and now we're going this way. And like through it all, the consistent theme is like, I don't know what is happening or what the future looks like, but I know that in this particular moment, we feel led this way. And then in the future, we might feel led a different way, but there's a fluidity there that tells me, hey, man, the Lord is interesting in the paths that he takes us down, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Man, some of that back and forth was born out of an arrogance that I knew better. I knew how to do it Mm. and didn't really need the partnership or didn't think I needed the partnership as much as I, I know now I actually do. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And I know that, man, when we have talked in the past, you've talked about wholehearted leadership. And, you know, obviously that's one of our values. Why is that in particular so important? for you. Yeah. I've been on a journey with this for the last two years. I came back from a sabbatical that didn't feel healthy. And then I did a 360 review with all of my leaders. And the one theme that kept coming back was that it didn't appear to my leaders that I was leading from a place of rest Mm. and that I wasn't fully present with people. I was anxious to be efficient and to get things done and to create systems that were effective. Mm. And um, man, I just, I didn't want to lead that way. I didn't want my people to feel like they were being used to get my work done. I wanted them genuinely to feel loved. I mean, you get into ministry because you love people and then you get yeah. sidetracked from ministry because you, you fall in love with yourself and you start mm. believing the hype. So we, we made some changes. I started meeting with a life coach, Rich Plass, Mm. in that season. And he's just helped me kind of become much more in touch with how I'm doing emotionally. And I realized a lot of it just wasn't well. Mm. So I was sacrificing wholeness for efficiency and we were getting things done, but it wasn't making people feel amazed. And I'm not sure how much we were inviting or even being invited by God into what was happening. I think he was giving us what we wanted and mm. kind of saying, yeah, hope you don't choke on it. Mm. Well, gosh, you know, for you to sit where you are and to share 
I mean, just that level of honesty with us. And I don't think it's um, unusual for you to end up in that particular place because I think we all wrestle with that. Mm -hmm. This thing is so all-consuming and there is an entrepreneurial aspect to it in terms of we're building something. Mm -hmm. And that building aspect of church planning can be so addicting that the leadership part of it takes over from the wholehearted part of it, which in a lot of ways is what keeps us connected as a pastor to our people and also keeps us connected with God and with understanding ourselves a little bit better. Why do you think, especially with your story, why is it so easy for pastors to slide into that and almost ignore maybe what we'd call, you know, this aspect of self-care or self-awareness? Why is it so easy for us to do that, to ignore that, do you think? Yeah, I think I'm still kind of wrestling through this. I come from an interesting background. I started my life with Jesus my freshman year in college mm. and immediately began taking classes from very critical scholars. So I got exposure to a what I'll call a left-wing legalism. Mm. And it wasn't appetizing. So from there, I transferred into a very conservative Christian school. And so then I got right-wing legalism. <laughs> And what I've discovered is that we're all legalists. We just want to know what is the pattern that I need to follow so that I can keep God off my back and live a peaceful life. And I think as pastors, we can create efficient systems that are scalable and sustainable, and you don't really have to engage relationally with God to do it because mm. you've got a system instead of a spirit. Hmm. And so I, I really feel like that's what I did, honestly and shamefully, and I've shared this with my congregation. There was a season where I think spiritually I was just on autopilot. I'm kind of meeting with Jesus, but I'm meeting with Jesus to help me accomplish my system and structure, not to commune with me in the depth of my soul, because wow. that's hard work. Yeah. And systems and structures is efficient work. And our culture just cheers on productivity. So it's easier to be productive than it is to be vulnerable. Yeah, what, I wonder what kind of advice you would give to some of our pastors who maybe even unwittingly have made ministry their mistress and who yeah. are just caught sort of in this, um, almost like this agonizing cycle of just getting stuff done, productivity, you know, almost that becoming their drug. And maybe not even until they're listening to you right now, maybe even realizing that they've been trapped in that sort of vicious cycle, what kind of wisdom would you have for them? What's helped for me, and I don't know if this would help for everybody, but what's helped for me is just paying attention to how I'm doing emotionally. Mm. I had this kind of baseline anger. Mm. I'd wake up angry. I'd go to bed angry. It was never explosive anger, but it was just a yeah, an unsettledness. And so talking with Rich, I was invited to consider what is causing that? Why is my go-to emotion anger? Hmm. And yeah, and then the text of what good is it if a man gains the world or his city or everything he set out to accomplish with his church plan, but loses his soul? That was haunting for me. Hmm. I felt like I was there. Yeah, because we don't often apply that verse to us. Isn't that sort of the classic verse? We're looking out in our congregation and we're imagining all these people that are caught in the throes of materialism, for example. Yeah, right. You know, and so it, we're kind of pointing and we're jabbing with that. And yet that's like a mirror verse for mm -hmm. us in a lot of yep. ways, especially for those of us who are doing full-time 
vocational ministry, right? Mm-hmm. You've mentioned that recently you've adopted a, and I think this goes into what we were just talking about, a leading from weakness focus at Missio Day. Can you unpack what that looks like exactly? Yeah, that has born out of a lot of some pain of the, we dissolved our collective. You know, there was some relief of not having to manage multiple churches that felt in some ways like they were going different directions. But there was also some pain, like I felt like I was disappointing people and even even failing people because mm. I wasn't able to sustain it. And so I've just kind of struggled with some, yeah, just some residual pain from that. And then that whole idea that I'm not really present with people was painful. And then I've learned that some leadership mistakes were hurting people. And so it's been somewhat of a recent revelation, but I, I got up and shared with our members, you know, how I feel like I failed or disappointed and what I want to do from that place and how it's really reshaped kind of my understanding of the gospel. Mm. We had some painful experiences, some loss. I, I was sharing that with you earlier with my kids. They, My oldest three kids each lost a friend or at yeah. least an acquaintance. Then I mm-hmm. lost my grandmother and I was talking with Rich and with my pastors about it. And, uh, I told them the gospel for me has always been Jesus raised from the dead. So things will get better. And I still believe that, but there was a season where that just felt cheap. Mm -hmm. It felt like a get out of jail free card. Mm. And meanwhile, I'm I'm not aware it's numbing some pain, but I'm not really engaging with it. And so really looking at first Corinthians 15, where Jesus died for our sins, he was buried. There's two elements of the gospel that Paul says are primary. And I was glossing over them to get to, he raised from the dead and things will get better. Uh And so the comfort of the gospel for me lately has been, Jesus can be present with me in my pain because he suffered and died for sin. Mm. And that was a lot more comforting. So yeah, I've been trying to lean into that a lot more. Yes, there is victory. That's definitely true. But if we're really honest, most of our lives are not marked by a lot of victory. Yeah, and I think that's really well said. And I, and I also wonder, when you're standing in front of your congregation and you are committing those truths and those confessions to them, what was that like for you in the moment, number one? And then number two, what was the response like mm. after that? That's a great question. Going into our members meeting, I remember feeling really nervous. I don't feel anxious generally when I'm addressing our people. And my wife was asking me about it. Shannon was like, why are you so nervous? Mm. And I said, because I'm about to get up and share with my people where I failed them. Mm. And uh, I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who does? But yeah, I got up and shared. And the congregation was so overwhelmingly gracious. Mm. One of our members shared where he had failed the congregation. Mm. And I think was taking a little bit stronger punch to the chin than he needed to. But it, it kind of unleashed that. And since then, and maybe even leading into it, we sort of discovered even teaching from the pulpit, like leading from weakness is instead of getting up and, and sharing as though I'm an expert, getting up and sharing, I know some things, but I'm here as a student with you. Here's mm. something the Lord is teaching me. And it's changing the way that we do ministry. Yeah. Wow. How has it changed? You know, you mentioned before this drivenness. Mm-hmm. that you had. And, you know, God gives some of us a, just a, even a higher level of ambition and drivenness and an ability to be productive. He wires men and women differently, certainly. 
for you to come to this acknowledgement that you are somebody that needs to lead from a place of weakness in the way that Paul lays it out and in the ways that we can even understand that, how has your heart then been refreshed and renewed since that moment, would you say? And I'm, and I'm sure it's progressive too. It's ongoing. Yeah. yeah. I think the fruit of it for me is seeing how it's playing out in the church where our leaders are, some people were already gifted at this and have just been gracious and putting up with me for 10 years while I've been in Cincinnati. Right. They seem to feel a freedom to lean into one another in times of weaknesses, which they in many ways had. But some of our more rah-rah productive guys mm. have expressed to me that they just need to be more patient and lean in more relationally to what God is doing instead of this is something I want really badly. And to just slow down and ask, Lord, is this what you want? Yeah. So that's been encouraging and nourishing to us. Have you seen the way, even a staff perspective, how has that changed some of those dynamics, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I think my staff is more open with me. I think they're more willing to share not just what's going on in their ministries, but a lot more of their life Mm. where they're struggling. There seems to be a deeper sense of trust and camaraderie, even to make mistakes. (laughs) I think mistakes were hidden from me in the past, and now they're brought to my attention. Yeah. So your vulnerability created a new sense of like, hey, we're all in this together in terms of being able to expose our weaknesses, be honest and transparent with each other, and just lead out of this sense of almost a little greater hope and expectancy for what God's going to do beyond what our abilities just keep allowing us to do. Yes. Yes. 100%. And a willingness to cover for one another and pick up each other's slack. And that's been really encouraging. And that kind of leads us to friendship too, right? So I can only imagine that, you know, the relationship, the friendship that you've had, whether it's with people in the congregation or whether it's with your staff, there's that level of honesty and that level of humility that is really like the, it's the grounding for any flourishing friendship. Mm -hmm. I mean, how have you seen that kind of flesh itself out, would you say, you know, since that time? Oh yeah, that's for years in leadership and in friendship, I feel like I've been misunderstood. Mm. That people will assume that I would respond in a certain way or feel a certain way. And, you know, I'd hear these things and I'd be like, well, why would you think I would respond that way? And it was always, I don't know. Mm. And I think the I don't know was like, they didn't feel that I would hear what they were going to say. But lately, yeah, I feel like at least two of the men on my staff are some of my best friends. I feel Mm. like they understand me. I feel like they are for me. We spend time hanging out without having to talk about what's going on in the church. Or if we do, not feeling the weight of it. Like, do we really have to do this now? Yeah. It feels very natural and very seamless. And even some of that was learning how to put boundaries around like, okay, now I'm talking to you as your boss and now I'm talking to you as your friend. I don't know that we've fully discovered it. I think for one thing, just having interests that don't revolve hundred percent around the church. Yeah. And I have, mm. I have a lot of interests. I mean, one of my staff members is a good friend. We mountain bike together. We kayak together. We hike. We do mm. a lot of those sorts of things. Another staff member appreciates good whiskey and good beer and good food. And so we just, we have relationships around some of those issues. There is still a weight of you know, when you're a pastor, your friendships and your ministry are inseparable. Mm-hmm. 
So one thing I've found helpful, I think, is just defining, hey, when is this a ministry decision and when is this a friend decision? Yeah. And that's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. But slowing down, paying attention, being aware, those things have all helped. At another point in the conversation, Kurt reflected further on some of the details surrounding the decision to dissolve their collective model. While there were some encouraging changes happening in light of this reality, it didn't remove the disappointment created by the death of the dream to saturate the city of Cincinnati with Missio Day churches. A reflection point for the remainder of the conversation. I think I was guilty sometimes of speaking with more certainty than I actually had. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? And so you've got, you know, some of the disappointment was people coming and saying, hey, the elders came to us saying, we believe that God is leading us too. Mm. And now we're saying, we don't believe that God was leading us to that. Mm. So when is God leading us? And it's kind of like, yeah, I think I need to step back on my certainty in my language and just say, hey, we... This is what we're sensing. This is what we're hearing. This is a direction we'd like to go. We're asking the Lord to bless it. You know, we hope he's leading us this way. And at the same time, not give it like, we're just trying things and throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Try to lead with wisdom and be led by the spirit. But, and a lot of that is going to come not from setting up systems and structures, but really emphasizing communion with Jesus. Mm. Man, that is such a great word. And I think you just described sort of this divine art of the pause, I like to call it, the art of pausing. And because, you know, we're we're put in a situation so often as pastors where we are thinking on the spot yes. and we are committing visions to people on the spot. And a lot of those words may come from sincerity. They may contain mostly truth, but we're forced to kind of come up with words in the moment that may not be as accurate with where we actually are or where the ministry actually is. Yeah, yes. And I think at some point, I mean, I can attest to this in my own life in ministry, at some point, I'm just tired of doing that because there's an exhaustion to that too. Instead of just saying, you know, I don't know. I really don't know where God's leading us, but we're also not in a rush. We're also not really that hurried, so we can think and pray and pause and figure this out. And when God makes those things clear, I think we're all going to know and we're all going to have a a greater clarity on what the right direction is moving forward, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We sat in an elder meeting where my pastors asked me a question about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I said, man, I don't know. Hmm. And one of of my pastors just, he looked at me really funny. I was like, "Why why are you looking at me like that? And he said, Kurt, in all the years I've known you, I don't believe I've ever heard you say, I don't know. Mm. And I was like, wow. Okay, guys, I'm sorry for that. Wow, that's telling, huh? Yeah, because I do. I I jump into the mode of exactly what you're explaining. People are asking for vision. And I feel like I've got a general idea. I know the patterns of God. And so, and we've got some systems to back it up. So you just start riffing on the vision instead of being honest and saying, man, I don't know. Why don't we pause and ask Jesus what he wants us to do? Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we can say, hey, let's advocate for the I don't know-ness and I don't know culture in Mm -hmm. pastoral ministry, which is 
there is no reason for us to try to come up with so much certainty every time we open our mouths. And in fact, it goes back to what you just talked about earlier, which is that's an intentional way of leading from greater weakness. Mm -hmm. It's just the ability to say, I just don't even know what to say right now. I could say a thousand things and they'd all be, they'd sound right and they'd be true and none of it would be heresy. It also doesn't mean that it is accurate to where we're actually at and what's actually going on in some ways. That's right. Yeah. There are some things we do know. We can lean into that, but we don't know all things. That's ministry 101. We're taught what happens to kids when they pass away. My answer to that has always been, we don't know. The Bible doesn't, Mm. it's not clear, but here's what we do know. God is always good. God is always loving. God Mm. always does what's right. And we're supposed to trust God. It's not a certain answer, but most people appreciate the honesty and it brings them comfort because they get to lean in to what they do know and they don't have to have answers for what they don't. Well, amen, brother. I don't know how better we can end the pod than on that word, because I think there's an honesty there. There's a vulnerability and a transparency there that I think we all are trying to get to and that we all want to become more grounded in as the Spirit continues just to grow us and just lead us in greater affection for Jesus. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing with us. I think it's going to be really beneficial for our men and women. Good. Glad to share. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for sharing, Kurt. Your honesty and your story are a real encouragement. It's also a good and humble reminder that sometimes our plans are not God's plans, and that sometimes God causes us to pause and wait for His direction. However, in our waiting, we are often tempted to strategize and plan all the more. But maybe, just maybe, in our waiting, God simply wants us to rest and abide with Him. So I leave you with this encouragement from Psalm 145, verses 17 through 21, which is an exhortation to remind us of the faithfulness and kindness of God in all His works, where David writes, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. All right, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing to our show and giving us a rating and review in iTunes. If you have feedback, please email us at podcast at harbornetwork.com. We would love to hear from you. This is Harbor Network is a production of Owens Productions. It's produced by me and Mark Owens. It's hosted by Ronnie Martin and me. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And our music is by Mark Wallach and Aiden Blackbird. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.